Hi, my name is Trinity, and welcome to Kids Talk Church History, a one-of-a-kind podcast where kids investigate the history of the church. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Has he kept his promise? How has Jesus built and preserved his church against all odds? Come with us on a trip through church history to find the answer, here on Kids Talk Church History. Behold, O Bethlehem, the Lord of David and Son of David, hid his glory in swaddling clothes. His swaddling clothes gave a robe of glory to human beings. The lines I just read were written in the fourth century by a man named Ephraim, who lived in a region that today would be part of Turkey. They come from a collection called Hymns of the Nativity. Nativity is another word for birth. And they are perfect as we start to think about Christmas. Welcome to Kids Talk Church History. My name is Lucas. I am 14 and I live in San Diego, California. Hi, I'm Christian. I'm 13 and I live in Charleston, South Carolina. And I'm Emma. I'm 15 and I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Have you ever heard of this poet named Ephraim? I personally have never heard of him before. He used his hymns to help people understand the true meaning of scriptures. It was partially a reaction to some people in his region who used songs to spread their teachings, teachings that were not according to the Bible. We all know that catchy songs help people to remember. That's why many ads use short songs or jingles. So Ephraim used songs too, but his songs were basically biblical. And some of them spoke directly against false teachings. Today, we still have about 400 of these songs, and he probably wrote many more that are now lost. Oh, that's interesting. I like the poem you read by Ephraim earlier, how Jesus hid his glory when he became a baby, because no one could really see him in all his glory as God. But he had to become a baby, a human being, to allow us to share in his glory. It reminds me of a book by R.C. Sproul, The Priest with Dirty Clothes. That's about how Jesus takes our clothes dirty with sin and gives us his robes of righteousness. Exactly. And the same poem has other powerful lines. For example, let everyone chase away his boredom because it was not boring for that majesty to be in the womb nine months for our sake and to be 30 years in Sodom among madmen. That uh, last phrase is not what I would have expected a church father to say. (laughs) But we should never be bored with the story of God's salvation. Right. He didn't actually live in Sodom, but I think that's a way to a poetic way to say that without Christ's salvation, the whole world is as bad as Sodom. There are many other verses of Ephraim's poetry that make us think more carefully about the birth of Jesus. For example, he wrote, Joseph caressed his son as a babe. He served him as God. He rejoiced in him as in a blessing and he was attentive to him. As to the just one, a great paradox. Yes. Can you imagine Joseph and Mary cuddling up with Jesus as you would do with a baby, and at the same time worshiping him as God? That's why Ephraim's poems try to help us see the mystery in all of this. It's two things that seem to be opposite to each other, like taking care of a baby and worshiping him as God. Another paradox is when he wrote, The Lord came to Mary to make himself a servant. The word came to her to keep silence in her womb. So you have the antithesis of Lord and servant and of word and silence. I read that Ephraim's songs were sung in many different places, including markets. Yeah, and we have sort of the equivalent of that today where around Christmas time, we may hear some 
really deeply theological songs, even in our supermarkets, you know, songs like God rest you merry gentlemen that says, remember Christ our savior was born on Christmas day. Um, to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. It reminds us of why Jesus had to come to earth. But I'm not sure if many people think about the words that they hear. I think it's because uh, people are used to hearing these songs without thinking about them. It was probably different in Ephraim's time when the Christian message was still fairly new. We can let our guest, Dr. Jeff Wicks, tell us more. He knows a lot about Ephraim. He'll join us in a moment. But first... We have a question from one of our listeners, David from San Diego, who asked, what were the greatest challenges for Christians who wanted to take the gospel to other places? This is also a great question for Dr. Wicks. It would also be interesting to know how the gospel was first brought to the regions where Ephraim lived. Listeners, please continue to send your questions to this email address, questions at kidstalkchurchhistory.org. And remember... When you send us a question, you will have an opportunity to win a copy of The Priest with Dirty Clothes by R.C. Sproul. That's questions at kidstalkdirthistory.org. You can also find it on our website. All right. And uh, now joining us, as promised, we have Dr. Jeff Wicks, Associate Professor of the History of Christianity at the University of Notre Dame, Indiana. Thank you very much for coming to our podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, Dr. Wicks, as you may have heard, we have a question from one of our listeners. What was the greatest challenges for Christians who wanted to take the gospel to other places? Now, it's not specifically about Ephraim, the guy we were talking about, and I imagine there were different challenges in different times and places. Can you give us maybe a general answer and also tell us how the gospel spread to the regions where Ephraim lived? Yeah, great question. Um... So I think the I think the question probably does get a different answer depending on where the gospel was spreading to, and um, in the case of Syriac Christianity, I'll start with your your second question how it how it spread there. Uh, it's actually something we don't don't know a lot about because there aren't sources until much later than it has already happened, and um, and the sources are sometimes embellished, so it's hard to it's hard to give an account of the way Christianity came to Syriac-speaking lands um, in a historical sense. But what we do know is that by the time Ephraim lived, which was in the 300s after Christ, um, it had been there long enough that it had developed into very sophisticated forms. And I would say that the hardest thing that... um, that Ephraim found in the fourth century as Christianity was still, you know, we think of um, Christianity, the apostles going out and preaching and then, and then Christianity as we know it just took shape. But of course, if you read Paul's letters, our earliest documents for Christianity, you know that as soon as Christianity was preached, there was almost immediately controversy about what exactly it meant, how one should practice it, and um, and that was still the case actually in the fourth century when Ephraim when Ephraim was singing his songs, and I would say probably the hardest thing um, for him, the impression I get from his hymns is that um, when he came to the city in which he spent the last years of his life, a city called Edessa, which is in modern day Turkey. Um, he, um, he came there at the end of his life. He wrote most of his hymns there. 
And when he arrived there, he found that the name Christian was attached to groups that believed very strange things. For example, uh, they believed that the Old Testament was not part of scripture, that um, the body was not created by God and needed to be overcome. And so the, the greatest struggle for him seems to have been to convince people that yes, they should be Christian, but what they understood Christianity to be was not real, true Christianity, that that Christianity preached Christ who came according to the Old Testament scriptures, that Christianity preached a God who had really created this world, not that this world was an impediment to our knowing God, but that God made himself known through the scriptures and the world. And so I'd say that was the most difficult thing for him to say, yes, you're right, you should be a Christian, but there, there are crucial things that you understand Christianity to be that aren't, that aren't true. Okay, well, thank you so much for telling more about Ephraim's life. But what is your favorite poem by Ephraim? What's my favorite poem by Ephraim? Yes. That's a good question. Probably um, the, it would be one of his, his hymns on faith. It would be that his hymns, his hymns don't have great names. They just go by numbers. Um, and so this is the 31st hymn on faith. And it talks about the way um, that scripture talks about God. So in scripture, it, it says that God has ears. It says that God has eyes. And, uh, and Ephraim is explaining to his congregation that, um, that God, the Father, doesn't really have ears, doesn't really have eyes. God's not bound by a body in the same way that we are, but that he takes upon himself metaphors uh, that help us understand him. Um, and this is really crucial to the way Ephraim thinks about theology, that God kind of comes down to our level and talks to us in ways we can understand. Um, so that would probably be my favorite, the 30, 31st hymn on faith. So I had some additional questions about his poetry. Um, what was the original language that Ephraim's poems were in? Who translated them? And then how good is the translation? Good question. So the original language is Syriac. Uh, Syriac is a dialect of Aramaic. And Aramaic is, a, um, is the language that Jesus spoke. So um, Syriac was related to Aramaic in the same way that um, maybe Spanish is related. So they were in Syriac. Um, a number of people translated them. I assume you mean translated them into to English? Yes. Um, yeah. So a number of people have translated them, including myself, which makes it sort of difficult to answer your last question of how good the translations are. I hope they are good. Um, but, um, you know, I will say that um, when you go to translate a different language, you have, you have to make a number of choices. But one of the most basic choices you have to make is, am I going to represent the original language as accurately or as possible? Or am I going to kind of let some of that accuracy Slide in a literal way to make it sound better in English, because if you were to translate Ephraim totally literally, it would make almost no sense in English. All right. 
Thank you for that uh, explanation. I would have just assumed that they were in Greek, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't have guessed. That's right. No. Syriac. Yep, they're in Syriac. So uh, I have another question. It seems like Ephraim's hymns have different parts. Uh, for example, some verses that we read tell us what Joseph might have said and what Mary might have said. So did did uh, did the men sing all the men's parts and the women the women's parts? That's a really great question. Um, so I'll tell you I'll I'll say first what we don't know, which is that we don't know exactly down to the detail how Ephraim's hymns were performed. We know that they were sung according to melodies, but we don't know what those melodies uh, are. Like we know their names, but we don't know the, the musical notation. But what we do know is that actually Ephraim, um, for whatever reason, it's kind of an oddity in the history of Christianity. He wrote his hymns for women's choirs. Um, and um, like I said, we don't know why. No one talks about it until about 150 years after his life when someone says that he did this as a way of um, proclaiming that the curse of Eve had been overcome in Mary. And so now women could proclaim um, the theological teachings of the church. Um, so whether, whether that means that men and women would have alternated male and female parts, we don't know, but we do know that women were I don't, I know that there's maybe another question coming up about this. So hopefully I'm not stepping on that one, but women were present uh, in the performance of his, of his hymns, not just, um, not just in the church services, but they themselves were, were actually singing them. You anticipated my question perfectly. So um, <laughs> what, like how unusual in the, the context of the ancient world would that um, having women participating, not just in, you know, being there for worship, but actively like singing in worship. How unusual would that have been? Would that have been a thing that people were shocked and appalled? Or was it like, oh, that's cool? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, it would have been very unusual. So unusual that we have no, like no other Christian community seems to have developed that practice. Um so it would have been incredibly unusual, but, but remarkably, no one comments on it. It doesn't seem to actually draw a lot of attention. Like I said, it's, it's only 150 years after he dies that someone even um, mentions it in any, any detail, um, uh, which is a, a later Syriac poet, Jacob, who again says that Ephraim did this because... Um, he wanted to proclaim that the curse of Eve had been overcome in Mary. Well, thank you so much for answering that question, but does anyone sing any of Ephraim's songs today or are they set to music? They absolutely do. So uh, Christians to this day in Syria and Turkey and then communities that have come into uh, America from those places still do sing Ephraim's, Ephraim's hymns. Yep, they sure do. And the, the Syriac Orthodox services, they are still a major, a major part of their services. Well, thank you so much for explaining these things, Dr. Wicks. You're Before welcome. you go, we want to ask you two questions we ask all of our guests. The first is, how did you become interested in church history? Uh, so I became interested in church history because 
Um, so my, my dad is a pastor, so I grew up um, going to church, very active in church, but I didn't know a lot about a lot about history. And when I was in college, I took a course um, on church history and just realized how much bigger the Christian world was than I had ever imagined, how much more diverse, how many different languages and cultures had practiced Christianity throughout history. And I just, I really became became um, enamored of that. And then I started studying Syriac and I just, I fell in love with Syriac. And um, yeah, the rest is, so to speak, history. That's, uh, that's very interesting. It's always fun to hear how all of our guests got interested in church history. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for kids like us who want to learn more about church history? Um, yeah, well, I think this resource you have here is, um, is a great one. I would just say, you know, be curious, be, um, be firm in the, the traditions you, you come from. And also um, the Christian world is just so big and diverse and um, surprising and just, you know, um, be, be curious you know, um, always be curious and, and learn as, learn as much as, as you can without, you know, feeling like you have to, um, abandon what you've, you've come from in the tradition that you've, you've, um, you've come from. So be firm in that, but also be curious and, and open to the world. All right. I have one more question for you. Okay. Uh, so earlier we talked about a little bit about Ephraim's life mm-hmm. and we only gave like a really basic overview, like a few sentences. Mm-hmm. Do you think you could maybe expand on his, what his life was like? Sure. Um, so Ephraim was born sometime around 306 or 307 in a city called Nisibis, which is uh, today right on the, um, the borders of Turkey and Syria. And uh, it was in the day right on the border between Persia, the Persian Empire, and the easternmost part of the Roman Empire. Um, and it was, for that reason, a war zone. And so throughout Ephraim's life, there, was, there were constant wars between the Roman and Persian empires. It was Roman territory, but the Persian Empire was trying to, uh, trying to take control and finally, in 363, so when Ephraim was about 50 years old, the Persian Empire took it, and they took the city militarily and made all the Christians leave, um, exiled all the Christians. So at that point, as a 50, 60-year-old, Ephraim, of course, walked, you know, because um, there were not cars. So he and all the other Christians with him, they moved as a group from Nisibis to a town called, town called Edessa which is also um, today still a city and right on the border of Turkey and Syria. And that's actually um, where he did most of his writing, at least the, the hymns that still exist, that we still have. He wrote most of them then uh, in the last 10 years of his life. And then he died. He was a deacon. Um, so he served the churches in Nisibis and Edessa. Uh, he was also um, very um, committed to, I don't know how, if you all have discussed this, but in 
the year 325, there was a theological council. It's called an ecumenical council, meaning that it was supposed to represent and to come to a theological consensus that would be binding on the whole Christian world. This was called the Council of Nicaea. And uh, there were one of Ephraim's bishops was at that, that council and brought its teachings back to Nisibis. And so Ephraim also spent a lot of his time and energy trying to see that uh, the theology of that council, which was simply to proclaim that Christ was fully God and fully human, to see that the teachings of that council were embraced by Syriac Christians because they, they uh, weren't always. Um, so that's what he, he did. He was a deacon. He was an exile. He was kind of an F, uh, refugee of war. And uh, he was a hymnist and a poet. All right. Well, thank you again, Dr. Wicks. I, this makes me want to read more of Ephraim's hymns. Uh, I think they're written quite simply, probably because they were meant for everyone in his congregation. But now it's time to say goodbye. Thank you again to all of our listeners. Make sure you visit our website, kidstalkchurchhistory.org. That's where you'll find all of our podcasts, special offers, news, and more. Also, if you like what you heard, give us a good rating. And don't forget to tell your friends where they can find us. In partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, and on behalf of my co-hosts, Linus, Emma, and Christian, I'm Lucas, and thank you for listening to Kids Talk Church History. Bye.